Well, howdy! This podcast is a proud member of the PodCon Go Network. PodCon Go, family-friendly shows that are fun for everyone. Welcome to Elderberry Tales. Put on your boots. It's time for a story. This is part two of My Dad and the Power of Imagination by William Stair. This is part two, so if you haven't listened to part one, you should definitely go back and listen to that first. The next day was beautiful, sunny and warm with no rain. One thing about early spring in Washington, expect rain. It was also Saturday, so mom and dad packed us into the car and we went for a drive. One of our favorite places to go is the fish hatchery at Issaquah. We've been there many times and like to walk the trails along the creek. At spawning time, you can see many large salmon making their way up the creek to where they were born. And, sadly, where they will die. But not before they lay the eggs that will become their salmon children. Do you know about salmon? They are very interesting fish. Their mothers and fathers swim up the rivers and streams until they find the place where they themselves were born. The mother digs a nest in the pebbles at the bottom of the stream. Then the dad fertilizes them so they will grow. After that, the mom covers the eggs with little pebbles to keep them safe. Then the mom and dad go off to die. That's the sad part. The baby salmon never get to see their moms and dads. After a while, the eggs hatch, and out come little creatures called alevins. They look like tiny fish with fat tummies. But that fat tummy is actually the yolk of the egg they hatched from. The next time you are having an egg, look at the yolk. A tiny version of that is attached to the alevin's tummy and is its food. They're too small to swim, so they stay buried in the pebbles while they grow bigger and stronger. In the spring... The alevin have eaten all the yolk and now have to wriggle out of the pebbles to look for food. That's when we can see them in the streams. If we look hard, they're very shy and still very small, smaller than the last part of your finger. They are called fry then, but even if you caught a lot of them, they're too little to fry. Think of them as tiny grade schoolers but they eat a lot and grow fast. By summer, they are as long as your whole finger and are called fingerlings. Duh. Now it is time for them to move on in life, sort of like going from grade school to middle school. They've been swimming together for a while, and now they move away from home and downstream toward a new home. The fingerlings are looking for a place where the fresh water they were born in mixes with the salt water of the ocean. These places are called estuaries, and they're like high school. 
Here there is plenty of food, and the fingerlings are now called smolts. They learn to live in salt water, and their bodies even change to help them. Finally, they graduate from Estuary High School and go out into the world to be grown-up fish in the ocean. But after a few years, when they've grown big and strong, they miss their homes in the creeks and go back. You know the ocean is very, very big, and a stream is very small. How they find the place where they were born is a mystery. But they do, and the whole thing starts over again. Right now you're probably thinking, how do you know so much about fish? Well, I go to the fish hatchery, and that's where I learned it and actually saw parts of it. Or you might think, okay, but where do fish sticks come from? And my answer is, the grocery store, of course. Anyway, it was the time of year for the spring Chinook run. The Chinook are one species of salmon. A run is where they return to the stream where they were born. When we got to the hatchery, there was a big crowd gathered by the bridge that went over Issaquah Creek. Dad parked the car while the rest of us walked over to the bridge. One of Mom's friends was there with her two kids. Hi, Gloria, said Mom. What's going on here? Oh, Carrie, it's just terrible. Someone attacked the hatchery last night and let a lot of the fish out of the holding tank. Some are scattered around the building, dead, of course. But the worst is down there. I'm taking my boys and going home. She grabbed her two boys' arms and hustled toward the parking lot. It was easy to see the boys didn't want to go. They're Tommy and Sammy Owley and live in our neighborhood. Mom looked over the rail of the bridge, gasped, and told us, don't look down there. So of course, we did. At first, I didn't know what I was looking at. The stream was running over the pebbles that made up its bed. Here and there were, and then I realized it. Everywhere, mixed in with the flowing water, were the partly eaten bodies of salmon. They looked like one of the fried catfish on Grandpa's plate after he's done eating. Head, tail, and backbone in between. Only these fish were much bigger and eaten raw. Wow! How many are there? I asked. I'm counting, answered Army. There are at least 12, maybe more, and four over there on the bank. What could have done such damage? Asked Mom. A ranger, one of the men who ran the hatchery, had walked up behind us. This looks like the work of bears, several bears, he said. They raided the hatchery building first, then turned to fish preparing to spawn in the creek. I'm just thankful none of our staff were here at the time. Someone might have been hurt. Has this sort of thing happened before? Asked Mom. I've been here since the hatchery opened, and I've never seen anything like this. Once in a while, a bobcat or a coyote will raid a few fish, but never like this. Those animals usually stay away from places where people are. Dad had not been with us, but now he came up. He looked over the bridge railing, gulped hard, then turned to Mom. He whispered something in her ear. She whispered back, and the two of them walked away. As they did, Mom turned. 
Come on, boys. Like Tommy and Sammy, we wanted to stay and see what would happen next. But Mom gave us the look, so we trotted after them. We walked across the parking lot, past our car. It was obvious we were not going home yet. On the far side of the lot was a forest, the forest preserve around the fish hatchery and Issaquah Creek. Dad stopped. If the rangers at the hatchery had had more imagination, they might have searched for this. He pointed to a spot where some of the smaller forest plants had been pressed down, and just beyond that, a partly eaten fish. The fish eaters came through here. The ranger is right that they are bears, and big ones. But there are also the tracks of coyotes, and maybe even wolverines. Now, I know what bears and coyotes are, but not wolverines. So later, I looked them up. They are large members of the weasel family and do definitely eat fish. They can be big, up to 35 pounds. How do you know all this? Asked Armando. Because your mother told me, Dad replied. I saw the telltale tracks of three predators on the banks of the stream, where there was some soft mud. The rangers will find them too when they have the chance. At the bridge, your dad whispered that he'd seen some strange tracks near the parking lot. I whispered back what I thought they were. But how could dad see those tracks at all? They're the opposite direction from the creek, way on the far side of the lot. Good question, Army. When Mrs. Owley and her two kids came rushing across the lot, I asked her what was wrong. She told me about the fish, and I helped her get the boys into her car, which was parked right by the flattened brush and the tracks. It's a good thing she didn't realize that, or she'd have really been upset. Dad started to follow the trail through the brush at the edge of the parking lot. Whoa, mister, said Mom. If there are bears around... I don't think you should be trying to poke them. Dad thought for a moment. You're right. Let's drive home and think this out. Then I'll poke them. We drove home. Along the way, we stopped at our favorite drive-in, the Triple X Root Beer Barrel. It was to make up for not staying at the hatchery. I had the little barrel burger, fries, and root beer. Mmm-mm. Well, now, in this episode, the plot really started to thicken. So, let's put this together. In part one, we have Dad, the superhero, who's starting to really manifest these powers of imagination. But he doesn't know yet what he's going to do with them. Now, in part two the family has discovered a pretty significant local problem. I wonder how these two parts of the story are going to come together. What do you think? Well, you'll have to come back next week for part three and find out. Thanks again to my father, William Stair, who writes these stories, starring members of my family. And thanks to you 
for listening to Elderberry Tales. I'll see you right here next week.